All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we're able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. So today for the BQA, we're going to be addressing the following question. Was the second woe of Revelation 11 already fulfilled in 2004? This, of course, comes from one of uh, our viewers who raised the following topic, messaging me in Tagalog. Uh, I'm not going to read the Tagalog, but I'll read the translation which is uh, in English, Hello Po Kajan, I sent you an article published by a newspaper dated 2004. You can see on the left, it is the Inquirer. So this was concerning a tidal wave that kills 7,000 people. And so the question is, is this a biblical sign? The explanation was given by, not gonna mention the name of the minister who gives the explanation, not sure if it was true, I just kept the article and so uh, the explanation is given in this long page we're going to dissect that and analyze it and test it because as you know what we do here in the BQA the BHP and the Assembly of Yahusha is to test all things to make sure what we receive is the truth or what is good in the eyes of our father in heaven so this this person was not the only one who informed me about this apparently it's been going around and many people know about it and have copies of this exact thing because I also received a message from this person. Hello, Paul Carolando. Go ahead and look at the English translation regarding the prophecy in Revelation 11, 13 and 15. I uncovered this prophecy from, again, we're not going to mention the origin, but it's from a renowned church organization which has millions of followers. This was her explanation to me about the fulfillment of this prophecy. This was 2004. And this person also attached the same document, the same uh, inquirer um, newspaper. And that's what it says, tidal wave, uh, kill 7,000. And the explanation in English, uh, Colombo, Sri Lanka, the most powerful earthquake is 40 years, uh, 40 years triggered in 40 years, I guess. Uh, triggered massive tidal waves that slammed into coastlines across Asia on Sunday, killing more than 7,000 people in Sri Lanka, India, Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia. Tourists, fishermen, fishermen, hotels, homes, and cars were swept away by walls of water unleashed by the 8.9 magnitude earthquake. So that was indeed a very powerful earthquake, and it killed many, many people. And also in that same Article, uh, the same message that was given to me, was attached to the same uh, page. And so we're going to look at that page and look and analyze and kind of test out what it says so that we can grasp the truth of the matter. So the question we want to answer is, what well, was the Indian Ocean earthquake of 2004, the fulfillment of the earthquake in Revelation 11, chapter 13? So let's go ahead and look at Revelation 11. 13 to 15, because this was the passage that was mentioned in the message. This is what it says in the same hour. There was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded. This is the seventh trumpet. And there were a lot of voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so 
that's the content of Revelation 11, 13 to 15. It does mention a great earthquake. It does mention 7,000 people who were killed, which brings us to the question, is the fulfillment of Revelation 11, 13 to 15 fulfilled back in 2004 with the Indian Ocean earthquake? Now, I believe, this is my belief. You don't have to believe what I believe, but what I believe is what I will present to you because if I do otherwise, I would not have integrity, right? And so I present to you what I personally believe. You don't have to accept what I believe. You can test everything I say, which is what we should all be doing. Do not take everything I say on this program and believe it to be true. It is our duty and responsibility as individuals to test everything. And so I believe uh, that the Indian earthquake event is not the fulfillment of Revelation 11, 13 to 15. And in this presentation, I'm going to give you six reasons, six reasons why the great Indian Ocean earthquake of 2004 was not, take note, was not the fulfillment of the great earthquake mentioned in Revelation 11, 13. So let's go to reason number one. Reason number one is, well, the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake affected the wrong area. What do you mean? Well, the Indian Ocean earthquake, what lands were affected? What nations were affected? According to uh, this report, the earthquake followed by the tsunami was felt in Bangladesh, India, Malaysia, Myanmar, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. And so these are the affected areas of the earthquake, which is not surprising because where was the epicenter of the earthquake? It was the Indian Ocean. Naturally, the lands, the nations near the Indian Ocean would be first affected. And so the affected areas of the Indian earthquake of 2004 was Bangladesh, India, Malaysia, Myanmar, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. However, according to the prophecy, Revelation 11, 13, what is supposed to be the affected area of the earthquake. Let's read Revelation 11:13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. So the Bible tells us because of the earthquake, there were 7,000 people killed, but it tells us specifically the city fell. And so there is the definite article. It's specific, it's telling us about a city that was already mentioned. This is why when we find the definite article, the, it tells us this city has already been identified. And so the city refers to a specific city that should be the center of the earthquake. So what is that city? We read 1113 so that we can identify the city. We need to look at the context. Let's read first what is recorded in Revelation 11.8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So according to the prophecy, understood in context, the city that would be affected by this earthquake is what city? It is the great city where the Lord was crucified. Question, where is that great city where the Lord was crucified? We know it was Jerusalem. He was crucified 
in Jerusalem. It's called a great city to identify it with Babylon. This is why it's also connected spiritually to Sodom and Egypt. Physically, it's Jerusalem, but spiritually, it is likened to Sodom and Egypt. Sodom, because of its immorality. Egypt, because of its oppression. And so this city, Jerusalem, at the time the prophecy will be fulfilled, will not be the city of God. It will not be of Yahuwah. It will be called Sodom and Egypt. However, that physical city is where Yahusha was crucified. And we know that is, of course, Jerusalem. And so the earthquake of Revelation 11.13 will hit Jerusalem, not the Indian Ocean. So that's reason number one. Well, what is reason number two? The data conflicts with the prophecy. Well, what's the data given to us? Well, the Bible says in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, right? It's very, it's very specific. 7,000 people were killed because of the earthquake. Well, according to the data, how many people were killed? It says in the Philippine Inquirer, tidal waves killed 7,000. However, what it mentions 7,000, that's not the complete number. Those are just the initial reports. So after all is said and done, and people went back to the uh, places that were hit, devastated by the earthquake and the tsunami, how many was the total number of deaths? Well, according to Wikipedia, 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami, a series of massive tsunami waves grew up to 30 meters, 100 feet high. That's pretty high. It's like a 10-story building. That's a pretty high tsunami after being created by the underwater seismic activity offshore. Communities along the surrounding coast of the Indian Ocean were devastated and the tsunamis killed an estimated 227,898 people in 14 countries, making it one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. So the data says uh, people died of the number of 227,898. And where was the location of these deaths? In 14 different countries. And so it conflicts with the Bible because the Bible says 7,000, not 200,000, but 7,000. 7,000 not spread across 14 nations or countries, but 7,000 in the city of Jerusalem. So according to the minister explaining all of this for that church, right, we're going to look at the explanation according to a snippet. We're gonna take snippets of it. I'm gonna put the top, the Tagalog, and then the, ver the English version at the bottom. What they said to me was almost all the news that was covered by CNN, newspapers, great earthquake, where, uh, where, have seen, where have you seen an earthquake that affected not just three or four countries, but also killed 7,000 people. It is possible that the number will increase, but the initial reports were 700. So according to the person explaining uh, this event, he says it is possible that the number will increase, but the initial reports were 7,000. So the one explaining does admit that the total number of casualties, total number of people killed is not just 7,000. And if that's the case, and it cannot fit the biblical 
prophecy because the Bible says in the earthquake, 7,000 were killed, not 8,000, not 9,000, not 10,000 because prophecy is precise. Otherwise, Yahuwah would be wrong or he would be a liar. We know he is neither. And so we have to accept that because the total number of deaths exceeded 7,000, it could not be the fulfillment of Revelation 11, 13. Second reason, it mentions in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. In other words, the earthquake would directly, not indirectly, but will directly kill 7,000 because that earthquake will destroy a tenth of the city. And because of that, the earthquake itself will be the one to kill uh, 7,000 people because of the falling of the city. You know how when buildings begin to collapse, when the city begins to fall, and so all that rubble and all the buildings falling, just like what happened uh, just recently um, in Turkey. If You can see video footages of buildings collapsing and the, the city falling. And so the what that tells us is this event is similar in that the earthquake, the, the earthquake itself will bring uh, the killing, right? But what we find in the 2004 earthquake, the Indian Ocean earthquake, well, it was not really the earthquake that killed the people, right? What was it? The tidal waves, not the earthquake itself. The earthquake produced the tidal waves. The tidal waves or the tsunami is what killed the people. And so there's a, con a conflict in data there. What else? It also says a tenth of the city fell. Which city? Not 14 nations or countries, but the city, Jerusalem. Well, when did that happen? That the tenth of Jerusalem fell? Did that happen in 2004? It did not. A tenth of Jerusalem did not fall during the Indian Ocean earthquake of 2004. So when we look at the description of the prophecy in Revelation 11, 13 and 15, it conflicts with the data of the Indian Ocean earthquake event of 2004. That's reason number two. Let's now go to reason number three. The earthquake is not, take note, it's not the main event of the second woe. Let's read Revelation 11, verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so the part of the prophecy where it mentions earthquake, it also says right before it mentions earthquake, in the same hour. And so the main sign, the main event is not the earthquake. The earthquake is simply an after effect because of the judgment of Yahuwah, because of the presence of Yahuwah. Oftentimes when you read the book of Revelation, Whenever Yahuwah uh, casts judgment or his presence is there, there's always an earthquake. Like when he was in Mount Sinai, there was an earthquake. And so Yahuwah is going to be present somehow, right? And because of this event, because of the presence of Yahuwah, right, there's going to be an earthquake. And so the main event is not the earthquake itself. It's just an afterglow, an after effect of the main event. Well, what's the main event? The same event that happened in the same Hour. Well, what happened in that same hour? Let's read the context, 11 to 13. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. 
and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them in the same hour. There was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so when it says in that same hour, what event, which is the main event, took place after which there was a earthquake. So the earthquake event was ancillary. It was just connected. It's not the main event. It's an after effect event. But the main event is what? The main event is when the, uh, the two witnesses who were killed is brought back to life. And then they ascend to heaven. That's the main event. Because it says in that same hour, the same event, the main event, will trigger an earthquake, which will cause 7,000 people to lose their lives and will bring destruction to a tenth of the city of Jerusalem. Now, who were these two witnesses? Is seven to ten when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And so that main event was the resurrection of two prophets. Who are these two prophets? Two uh, witnesses who will give testimony about Yahuwah, about Yahushua. They will preach the gospel. They will preach the Ten Commandments. They will preach repentance. However, they will be overcome by the beasts. They will be killed, put to death. And then the event comes, the main event. Three and a half days later, what happens to them? They resurrect. And that resurrection and ascension, that's the main event. Because after the main event comes the triggered event, which is the earthquake. But that's not the focus. The focus is not the earthquake. The focus is what? It's the resurrection of the two witnesses and their ascension to heaven. And the voice of Yahuwah Abba is heard. Or the voice of Yahusha. It doesn't specify who, whose voice it is. It's probably the voice of our King Yahusha. Could be. And so people began to revere God because of that. So we know the two witnesses, well, they haven't preached yet. They haven't died yet, resurrected yet, and ascended to heaven, to heaven yet. So it hasn't happened. And so because it has the triggering event hasn't happened yet, the earthquake can also not happen. Okay, that's reason number three. Reason number four, uh, it ignores the first woe and the sixth trumpet event mentioned in Revelation. Let's read Revelation 11 again. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And so after the earthquake, the Bible says the second woe is past. And so what's going to come quickly? The third woe. Now, if the earthquake took place already, 
the earthquake in Revelation 11, 13, and 14. If this event took place already, it would mean the second woe is already passed, right? If the second woe is already passed, then what was the first woe event? Because you cannot have the second woe and then the first woe. No, these are sequential. First woe, second woe, third woe. That's why the second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. The woes come sequentially. And so the first woe must come before the second woe. So if the earthquake of 2004, the Indian Ocean earthquake, was the second woe, well, what was the fulfillment of the first woe? Well, this brings to question, what are the three woes mentioned in Revelation? The minister explaining all of this tells us his understanding of the woes. And so let's go ahead and take a look at what he says. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 mentions the time of the fathers, the prophets, the Christians are the three dispensation times. We are currently in the Christian era, which was further divided into seven seals. So far, so good. We are in the seventh seal, which is at the end of the Christian era. He showed us that we are at the forefront of the return of Christ. The seventh seal was divided into seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet marks the return of Christ from heaven. We are in the sixth trumpet, which is further divided into three woes. Let's take a look at some of these statements and test them, right? That's what we do. We want to test them using scripture. And so let's look at this one. The seventh seal was divided into seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet marks the return of Christ from heaven. Well, let's go ahead and look at Revelation 8, 1 to 2. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So at the seventh seal, there are indeed seven trumpets. So there are seven events that will take place in the seventh seal. So that's correct. Now, what is this seventh seal? Let's go to Revelation again, 11, 13 to 15, uh, verse 14. The second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded. What is that? The seventh trumpet. What is the seventh trumpet? And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of Yahuwah and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We studied this before. We know all about the seventh trumpet. There are seven trumpets. The seventh is the last of the seven trumpets. This is the last trumpet that ushers in the harpazo. And so an announcement is made that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Yahuwah and of his Christ. This is why the disciples of Yahushua are going to be harpazo or caught up in the air. So the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, is the event where our King Yahushua will return in a cloud to bring his disciples with him to heaven. And so that so far so good. So, right, uh, the third woe and the seventh trumpet are the same event. The third woe is the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the third woe. When that happens, when the third woe happens, it's the seventh angel sounding, and that will bring in the harpazo. So the people who belong to Yahushua can be reunited physically with our king, Yahushua. Now let's go to his other statement. We are in the sixth trumpet, which is further divided into three woes. 
Now let's go ahead and test that to see if it's accurate. Is it true that the sixth trumpet is divided into three woes? Revelation 8, uh, 12 to 13, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet. So what trumpet is that? The fourth, right? And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So a third of them uh, turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. How many woes? Three woes. Do you see the three woes? No? Do you see the three woes? Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So what does that tell us? The three woes mentioned in Revelation correspond to the last three trumpets of the seven trumpets. Do you see that? So the woes are going to correspond to the last trumpet blast. So trumpet five, trumpet six, and trumpet seven correspond to the woes. Trumpet five, first woe. Trumpet six, second woe. Trumpet seven, third woe. So it's not true that the sixth trumpet is divided into three woes. That's not true because the trumpets correspond to the woes. Five, the trumpet five is the first woe. Trumpet six is the second woe. Trumpet seven is the third woe. This is why it says in Revelation 11, 13 down to 14, the second woe is past. The third woe is coming quickly. And then the passage after that is the seventh trumpet. And so that corresponds to the third, uh, the third woe. Third woe is the seventh trumpet. Now it mentions that the, when the second woe is passed, the great earthquake would have already occurred. So if the earthquake of 2004 was the second woe, well, what was the fulfillment of the first woe? To rephrase that, what was the fulfillment of the sixth trumpet? Because for the second woe to have passed, for that earthquake in Revelation 11, 13 to have already passed, it means the sixth trumpet event must have already been fulfilled because that's the first woe. You get it? Right? Well, what was the event of the sixth trumpet? The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before Elohim. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the great and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard this number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by their three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads, which they inflict injury. And so what is described is one of the uh, sixth trumpet event, one of the second woe event, which is an event 
that will call upon an army of 200 million and many people will die because of fire, smoke, and sulfur. And there's going to be the use of weaponry, which is likened to snakes. And so this suggests smart missiles. And because of this, many people will die. And so there's going to be a great war being uh, according to the six trumpet event. So the question is, has this already been fulfilled? If this was already fulfilled, then how was it fulfilled? Because the earthquake of Revelation 11, 13 cannot be fulfilled unless this is fulfilled first. Right? Do you get it? So it goes back to the first woe. Was the first woe fulfilled? No. Then how can the second woe be already fulfilled? First must come the first woe. Then come the second woe. So that's reason number four. What's reason number five? Well, well why hasn't the third woe happened yet? Because the Bible says the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And according to the explanation of the minister, back in 2004, when this all happened, well, this is what he said. Did you, uh, did you know that yesterday the second woe was fulfilled? Read Revelation 11, 13, 15. After reading this passage, he told me to take note of the phrase, the third woe is coming quickly. And what's his interpretation? He said, the world lasts long and the Lord God will destroy it possibly later today or next week or next month. And so in the mind of the minister giving this explanation, it, the, the earth will not last years anymore, at most a couple of months, right? According to the explanation, because... It says it is coming quickly. And so in context of Revelation 11, it should have already taken place in 2004. But it's already 2023 and it hasn't happened yet. So that's reason number five. Lastly, reason number six. It is not true that the earthquake of Revelation 11:13 is the only sign yet to be fulfilled prior to the return of the Messiah. That's not the only sign. As a matter of fact, it's not even the main sign. What's the main sign? The earthquake is not the main sign of the second woe. The main sign was were the two witnesses who would resurrect and go to heaven. I mean, we have earthquakes all the time, right? But this one, I mean, how many, how many do you know of people who died and resurrected and gone to heaven. <laughs> that would be the sign of all signs, wouldn't you think? And so that sign has to be fulfilled. That's what we're looking for. But according to the minister giving the explanation, I'm going to, paraf uh, going to translate into English what he said. He made me read what is written in Matthew 24, 333 and 6 to 8. Ezekiel 7, 3 to 8, and 10 to 11 and 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And so these passages of scripture is supposed to tell us about the signs that will take place when the return of Christ is near, okay? So when we want to know the signs of the return of Yahushua, just look at these passages. We'll take a look at those passages. And then he goes on to say, uh, do you know that there was only one sign left? that was not yet fulfilled, but this was fulfilled yesterday. 
the earthquake in, in the Indian Ocean. And so the, all the signs have already been fulfilled. And supposedly this was the last sign to be fulfilled. And so all the other signs have already been fulfilled. And when he says all the other signs all are, have already been fulfilled, what was he talking about? He's speaking about Matthew, Ezekiel, and Thessalonians. So let's go ahead and take a look at Ezekiel first, 7, 3 to 8, 10 to 11, because he mentions that this tells us that these events have already been fulfilled. Ezekiel 7, 10 to 11, 15. Behold, uh, the day, behold, it has come. Doom has gone out. The road has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude, none of them. Uh, nor shall there be wailing for them. The sword is outside, the pestilence and famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by sword. Whoever is in the, the city, famine and pestilence will devour them. So according to the signs written by Ezekiel, includes pride. I mean, do we find a lot of pride today? Yes or no? We do, right? Violence, is there violence today? Yes or no? Yeah. How about the sword? Violence. Uh, Pestilence and famine. Do we have famine and pestilence and violence and killing? We do, right? And so these events are signs that uh, that is foretelling or it is a harbinger of the doom that is going to come. Ezekiel 7 is a wonderful prophecy because it applies immediately in the present concerning Jerusalem, concerning Israel, concerning all of the land of Judah during the days of the captivity, okay? It was fulfilled there. However, it would also be fulfilled in the future, more complete fulfillment. And so let's look at the pattern. Ezekiel 7, 3 to 8. Now the end has come upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know I am Yahuwah. Thus says the Lord Yahuwah, a disaster, a singular disaster. Behold, it has come. That's interesting. It mentions a singular disaster. Could that be the great earthquake? Let's keep reading. An end has come. The end has come. It has dawned for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you. You who dwell in the land, the time has come. A day of trouble is near and not of rejoicing in the mountains. No, upon you I will soon pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. Clearly, Yahuwah is speaking about Israel here, because Israel is proud, became violent, and sort of being punished by Yahuwah with famine and pestilence, and soon they're going to be destroyed, utterly destroyed by the Babylonian troops. You see, when Ezekiel was prophesying, there was already the captivity. But during the captivity, um, Jerusalem was not completely besieged yet. However, the Bible tells us there's going to be a singular disaster that's going to come. And so this was fulfilled during the days of Israel when Israel and Judah and Jerusalem were completely destroyed by the Babylonian troops. So that was fulfilled. However, I believe it's also foretelling a future event. And so there is a singular disaster that will take place. However, is it speaking about the great earthquake in India? Ezekiel 7, 1 to 2. Moreover, the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, and you son of man, thus says Lord Yahuwah, to the land of Israel, an end 
the end has come upon the four corners of the land. And so specifically, it's not about India or the Indian Ocean or the countries near the Indian Ocean. It is about what? Israel, right? The land of Israel. And so when we look at Ezekiel 7, yeah, I mean, the signs of the end. And when you talk about pride and wickedness and violence and sword and famine and pestilence, all that is happening today. And it's telling us we're getting closer and closer to the end. What else does he say are the events that will take place prior to the coming of Yahushua? First Thessalonians 5, 2 to 3. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And so according to scriptures, before the end comes, there's going to be this sense of peace and safety, right? Because they're going to be, people are going to announce and proclaim peace and safety. And so when sudden destruction comes, it will take them unprepared, like a person who steps out of his house and then the thief comes and takes away all their stuff and breaks, breaks in and takes all their stuff. And so in the same way, like a thief in the night, people who are not prepared, when Yahushua returns, they're going to be destroyed because they are relying on the peace and safety that is proclaimed by the world. Well, I don't know if we have already seen this happen, right? I mean, I don't know if there's peace. I don't think we've achieved world peace yet. But there's going to be a time when there's going to be world peace, when the beast comes. When the beast comes, he's going to bring with him peace. But it's a false peace. This is why Apostle Paul warns us about that. Peace and safety? Oh, be careful. When we achieve perfect world peace, when we have achieved world peace, be careful. Because we know sudden destruction is going to come. Okay? And so... One of the signs, well, that hasn't happened yet in First Thessalonians 5, 2 to 3. It hasn't. I mean, ever since I was born, ever since the time of Cain and Abel, I don't think we've had world peace, right? This hasn't happened yet, all right? So that's one of the signs that still has to be fulfilled. Now, let's check Matthew 24, 3, 33, and 6 to 8. I think many of us are familiar with these passages, but let's read it nonetheless. Matthew 24, now, as he said in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. So the disciples wanted to know signs. They loved signs because when you have signs, you can prepare. And so what kind of sign were they looking for? Signs that will tell us that the second advent of Yahushua will come soon, and that the end of the age is going to come soon, right? And so they wanted to know signs. And so in verse 3, they asked for signs. And then in verse 33, what does Yahushua conclude? He says, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. And so between verse 3 and 33, there are signs that Yahusha gives. What is included in those signs? Matthew 24, 6 to 8, and you will hear of wars 
and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. So when the disciples ask our King Yahushua for signs, he gave our King Yahushua gave them examples. He gave them signs. Not one, but several. What is included? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Check, right? Fulfilled. What else? Famines. Check. Fulfilled. What else? Pestilences. Check. Maybe double check. Maybe triple check. Fulfilled. What else? Earthquakes. Triple check, right? So all this is taking place. And Yahushua says all these are just the beginning. Of sorrows. What does that mean? There are more signs to come. It's too bad there are some religious organizations, they stop at verse 8. When Yahushua says it's only the beginning, because we haven't even uncovered the main sign that Yahushua is telling us to watch out for. You know what that is? And let's read 15, because 15 is part of the sign that we that Yahushua wants us to know. As a matter of fact, this sign that we're going to uncover next is what we should be looking out for. 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And so what was the sign that Yahushua wanted us to not only read about, but to understand by virtue of studying the book of Daniel. So Yahushua is telling us, you need to be watch, watching for world events. And this is what we ought to be doing, watch world events. And so in, when we watch world events, we hear or, about earthquakes. We hear about famines. We hear about pestilences, all of that. So it's all happening quickly, but it's all leading to this main event. What is this event? It's about the abomination of desolation. And for us to understand the abomination of desolation, we have to go to the book of Daniel. Yahushua is telling us, read Daniel. Understand Daniel. Because he speaks about this event I'm telling you to be aware of. And so we know Daniel tells about a, a temple. And then the beast and the Antichrist is going to desecrate that temple. And so this event that our king Yahushua that he's telling us to be mindful of is when the temple is built and then there's going to be the beast that will come in and make himself the center of worship so that people would worship him, okay? So that's what we need to be watching for. Has this been fulfilled already? Has this temple already been built? Has it been desecrated already? Not yet. Not yet. But we know if you go to Israel today, the heifers are prepared. The utensils have been set apart. The people overseeing the temple worship are already set apart, the quote-unquote Levites. And I believe they're already building, perhaps, the temple. And so it's going to be established soon, perhaps because of this. We need to be even more mindful of what's taking place. And then our King Yahushua says, then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world. And our studies in the book of Revelation tells us 
that if we are included among the, those who are pots, we're not going to experience the wrath of that great tribulation. And so according to the Holy Bible, this beast who's going to desecrate uh, the, the temple, what will he do first to be able to do that? Revelation 11. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of the prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So the beast is rising into power at this point. It is going to overwhelm the two witnesses and then desecrate the temple and then establish peace for all of the world. Right? So the beast is coming. The two witnesses are coming. But the earthquake in Revelation eleven thirteen cannot yet be fulfilled until these events first be fulfilled. Because that great earthquake is taking place after the ascension to heaven of the two witnesses, not before. And so when the minister explaining uh, the Indian Ocean earthquake, when he says, do you know that there was only one sign left that was not yet fulfilled, but this was fulfilled yesterday in the earthquake, it's not true. It cannot be true. Why? Because there are events biblically, prophetically, that must take place before the earthquake of Revelation 11, 13, which haven't been fulfilled yet. What are they? An event involving an army, 200 million, killing one-third of men. Not yet fulfilled. The temple rebuilt, not yet fulfilled. Uh, the abomination, desolation, not yet fulfilled. The two witnesses preached for 2,000, 1,260 days, not yet fulfilled. The beast coming into power, the beast taking over the world, hasn't been fulfilled. And the two witnesses are killed, resurrected, and sent to heaven, not yet fulfilled. And so because of this, my beloved brethren, we cannot say that Revelation 11.13 has already been fulfilled. And so because of all these six reasons, I believe Revelation 11.13 awaits fulfillment. It has not been fulfilled. It will be fulfilled according to the sequence of prophetic events because Yahuwah is a God of order, not disorder. And so there's a timeline of events that will take place one after the other. And so when we are given this information from the Holy Scriptures, what should be our response as people of Elohim? The true sons and daughters of God, when they study revelation, when they study uh, prophecy, when they study the Holy Scriptures, and at the same time observing world events, what should be the effect it has on us? Let's read Thessalonians 5, 2 to 6. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. And so for those who truly belong to Allahim, 
the true sons and daughters of God, the true sons and daughters of light and of the day. When we study prophecy, when we observe world events, what should be its effect on us? It makes us watchful and sober. This is why there's a difference between the children of Abba Yahuwah and the people of the world. For the people of the world who are not aware of the prophecies, when the, the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But it doesn't have to be that way. For those who study scripture, for those who understand the teachings of Abba, for those who know the timeline, it should not produce that effect. Instead, it should wake us up. Right? Therefore, let us not sleep. What does that mean? Do not sleep. Do not sleep on your devotions. Do not take it for granted. Do not ignore it. Do not mind, you know, do not live your life without awareness of what's to come. And so we should be sober. We should be watchful. What should be, why should we be watchful? Thessalonians 5 1 says, but concerning the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. We already know the signs. We know what to expect. Well, if we know what to expect, if we know these events must happen first before Yahushua returns, then I have all the time in the world, right? I can just postpone my repentance. Anyways, I mean, this, this the first one hasn't happened yet. The second one hasn't happened yet. So I can just do whatever I want. Live my life the way I choose. When the first, but when the first woe happens, that's when I'm going to start repenting and renewing my life. Should that be our attitude? No. Bible says, wake up, right? Wake up, the Bible says. The Bible says we should be sober and watchful. So when we know the timeline, when we know the prophecy, it should not produce complacency. Instead, it should produce devotion and commitment. Why? Because of this. John 4, 13 or 14. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Brothers and sisters, because the Bible teaches us the times, the seasons, the prophecies, so that we are informed about what events are going to take place and what to be watchful for, it doesn't mean we should be complacent. It doesn't mean we should say to ourselves, I'm not going to repent yet. I'll repent tomorrow. What does the Bible say about tomorrow? <laughs> Bible says, don't say today or tomorrow. Why not? Because you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Why? Because life, our life, is like a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. We don't know when we're going to die. I mean, how many people thought when they took a stroll outside in Turkey that that would be their last stroll? We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to get hit by an accident or we're going to get a disease. We don't know when we're going to accidentally fall and slip. Life is fragile. Life is fragile. I mean, at least for the people who are, are alive and then judgment comes and then Yahushua comes and people are harpazo, those who are still alive but are left behind, at least they get an opportunity. 
But if you die, you're already dead. That's it. This is why we have to be sober and watchful. Not only because of the events that will take place, but because of how fragile, how fragile life is. Don't take it for granted. Do not postpone till tomorrow. Salvation. This is why 2 Corinthians 6, 2, verse, uh, verse 6, verse 2 says this. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not later. We don't know how much time we have left. We don't know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. Many people every day don't wake up in the morning. Right? We don't know. And so what must be our mindset? Every day could be the last day of my life. So every day should be the day of salvation. While we still have the opportunity. Don't postpone till tomorrow. Do not say tomorrow I'm going to repent. And be devoted to Yahuwah and Yahusha. Say today must be the day. Because if we will postpone till tomorrow. What will surely happen to us? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Hebrews 3.13. You must warn each other every day. While it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You know, every time we postpone repenting and returning to Yahuwah and being committed to him, every time we postpone, we harden our hearts. It's like a person who repeatedly is advised by his doctor, stop eating those foods, but they're stubborn. Today, I'll eat it. Tomorrow, I'll start my diet. But tomorrow sometimes never comes, right? Because each and every time they keep consuming those foods which clog your arteries, they harden the heart physically. It's true with sin. When a person says, I will postpone my repentance until tomorrow, he hardens his sin against God. And eventually, they will never get the chance to practice repentance today. Now is the time to repent because today is the day of our salvation. Brethren, do not say, oh, we still have to wait for the first law or the second law. Brethren, let us be concerned about the frailty of our life. Let us be ready to die for our King Yahushua. Let us always repent and return to our Father, Yahuwah, through his son, Yahushua HaMashiach. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, Yahuwah, Almighty Elohim in heaven. Thank you so much because you have blessed us with wisdom. Help us that we will not take for granted this message that you have given us. Move our hearts to be completely repentant as human beings. It is so easy sometimes to be sidetracked, to be distracted, to lose our focus. Father, forgive us. Help us to be watchful to be sober, to live our life in the day, not in the night, because we know life is so frail. Give us every opportunity while there is still time left to share our faith and to be your disciples that many more can come to know about you, your name, Yahuwah, and your gospel of salvation, our King Yahushua. We are before you now. You are our Mashiach. We have faith in you. 
We believe in the power of your shed blood, how it has the power to forgive and to cleanse even the most deeply seated of sins. We know about your power to resurrect. And so we are not afraid of death because we place our hope and trust in you. We affix our sight in you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Whenever we get distracted from time to time, please do something to help us. Help us to be alert. Help us to long for your coming that we will not be caught unaware. Instead, we will be watchful, looking forward to be with you, to meet you in the heavenly book. Please continue to bless each and every one of us. If ever any of us become sick, heal us, please, of our sicknesses and strengthen us once again that we can be fully committed in the work that you have given us. Father, please bless your people throughout the world. Bless your servants wherever they may be and help us, Father, to be protected, especially when there are earthquakes and famines and pestilences. You are our rock. You are our refuge. Please manifest yourself daily in our life. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.